0: Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marian Maniker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. James Tarmy writes about the contemporary art market for Bloomberg. In this episode, we're going to discuss a series of articles he wrote in the closing months of 2017. Each of the articles looked at a different artist and the structure of his or her market, The artists themselves were chosen for very specific reasons to illustrate different aspects of the contemporary art market. But let's let James give us more of the detail. James Tarmy, for the last uh, three or four months on Bloomberg, you ran a series of uh, half a dozen stories about a variety of different artists, many of whom sort of have a a different profile in the art market. And I I was curious to know, one, is this part of a uh, self-conscious series or just a group of stories that happen to uh, fall together? And then two, I'd like to talk a little bit more about what you do covering the art market.
1: Okay, so to the first question, it is very self-conscious in the sense that um, it's, a, it's an ongoing project uh, and the kind of overall point of it is to articulate how various artists become successful, um, both living and dead. And the point of that, is that it's not is that there isn't necessarily one formula, and even if you follow the formula, it doesn't necessarily mean that there is a guaranteed success. However, I think that it is extremely helpful both for um, my readers and pretty much anyone, um, especially people who are actually buying art, um, to try to think about the different factors that lead persistently to success. And so, I have been taking different uh, case studies um, from different segments of the market um, and just in, I mean, hopefully articulating um, why they're successful and how they have become successful. And then also trying to use um, those first two points to extrapolate and try to actually think about whether or not they will maintain that success. Um, and so I... Started with I actually started um, the, the the first time I, I really did it was um, actually with a, a dead artist which was with um, Joseph Albers and just kind of talking about his market and how um, trying to trying to use an articulation of that of that market to, uh, demonstrate how a gallery can take an estate and, um, create something, uh, very sustainable, um, in terms of growth. Um, and so I went from Albers and then I kind of jumped to the opposite end of the spectrum and, um, kind of talked about the, this, this very nascent market for an artist named, uh, Lawrence Abu Hamdan, who is a tremendous, uh, favorite of institutions um, and creates a lot of art that's um, politically motivated and has a lot to do with Refugees and diasporas of various kinds and memory and sound and science, and so if you can believe it um he he really fits into a lot of very topical um questions facing the world today and therefore um is a perfect example of this kind of synthesis of art and politics and life so he he's doing the um, and that moved on to uh Laura Owens and um then talked about um this uh, woman whose name I consistently mispronounce so but her name is Lynette um, Yadam Blaché um and then I talked about John McAllister, who's uh, an artist from a very different uh, spectrum of things. And then finally, I talked about um, Michael Kreber, who uh, is the most recent piece in the series that I've done. And, and Kreber is, is an example of something Um, very different in terms of uh, market phenomena than than John McAllister. And so, I mean, if you're interested, we can kind of go through it and talk about why each of them um, works as a case study. But um, that's the kind of general overview of it.
0: Uh, I do want to talk about some of the specific uh, artists. But before we get there, I wanted to get a better sense of how you choose whom to write about is it because you know people are asking you about that particular artist or you've you know canvassed uh dealers and collectors and uh you know other people in the market about uh you know w- what's hot for lack of a better term mm-hmm.
1: um it's a little bit of everything you know um for you, I mean, my literal job is just to try to synthesize a lot of different information and try to figure out if you can kind of extrapolate into anything usable or tangible. Um, and so for for some, some artists, you know, I mean, obviously Laura Owens was quite topical because she has this retrospective at the Whitney and then simultaneously um, stupendous uh, auction results for, um, uh, Lynette Yotem um, that's a similar example where you're seeing a lot of secondary market activity, like a lot. Um, and, then, and then there are other people who I'm trying to kind of catch at a slightly different moment. You know, um, for instance, with Michael Kreber, I first really became aware of him a couple of years ago when I was at this kind of freeze reception of some sort, and everyone was kind of hanging around, and one person brought up his name, and there was just a chorus of people who were all, um, I would say, quite uh, financially well-off and also quite young, who were all just just really aggressively um, positive about Kreber in a way that I really hadn't... Um, hadn't encountered about really any other artists a lot of people are um, even if they like an artist um especially in a kind of art world gathering are a little bit more circumspect about their enthusiasms in case there's <laughs> in, in in case someone someone feels otherwise and this was just this kind of untrammeled um boosterism which all of a sudden put him on my radar and so um you know, Kreber doesn't necessarily have any major shows coming up, but um, he's recently come to uh, New York and moved to New York, and his, his market in the U.S. is growing. And I happen to know a few collectors who were kind of pursuing um, specific works by him, and I thought that um, it would it would make sense to kind of articulate his market now rather than, um, catching the train once it's hit full speed, let's say. Um, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a combination of looking at the secondary market, um, really kind of trying to canvas the primary market and then a very unscientific, but hopefully, um, accurate way of kind of capturing, uh, Art world perception, which um, the value of which cannot be overstated, um, in terms of various market successes.
0: You mean that the perception becomes reality—that that when people hear about uh, others being interested in an artist, it tends to drive uh, curiosity and um, buying.
1: Completely. I mean, there are a lot of artists making interesting art out there. There's a very, very small group of artists who are making art that sells for a lot of money. And the reasons for that, and this is really the point of the entire exercise, the reasons for that are... um, you know reasons that I'm trying to articulate. There, there's collector advocacy. There's dealer advocacy. There's institutional support. Um, and then, in the case of an artist like John McAllister, where there isn't institutional support, there's just simply the fact that people like to look at the work, which is, which seems um, uh, preposterously obvious, but you know. Um, It's not necessarily, and there are a lot of artists making pretty things that that don't sell nearly as well as an artist like John McAllister. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I mean by perception.
0: Well, we can see the same thing uh, with... Much more established artists like uh, Basquiat, who, you know, there are now many museum shows, but there's not a lot of museum ownership uh, of his work. And yet he's uh, an enormously successful market artist without uh, that underpinning, which everyone says is the, you know, absolute baseline essential to, to, to making it in the art world.
1: Completely. Well, and Boscot is one of the purest examples of a market creation that exists, right? Um, there there was a, a actually a pretty, pretty small group of people trying to make that market happen and that you can't really uh, – this is the exception, and I'm not sure that it proves the rule, let's say.
0: But the, uh, the reason I brought it up is I sort of wanted to work backwards to what you said earlier about Kraber, what do you think made that um, spontaneous show of enthusiasm? Was it was it truly spontaneous? Was it coordinated in so, some way?
1: Don't really know about that, but what I do know is that Kreber has been for a very long time this kind of cult figure in Europe it's it's hard to overstate the power of the american art market until they have an uh, american dealer and an american market they are not going to have a secondary market or even a primary market that's that's nearly as robust as as some people who are also make career and and doing quite well and so would i say that this kind of uh demonstration of of fealty um was I, I think that I think that it was probably fairly practiced insofar as these this these were a group of Europeans who all were consistently needing to reintroduce this person to an American audience who might not necessarily have been on the same wavelength. But um I mean now that's changing and Kreber has uh, a variety of galleries that represent him in uh New York and he has a kind of growing Group of U.S. collectors. Um, I, in the article, I speak to multiple advisors, um, most notably Alan Schwartzman from at Sotheby's and Art Agency Partners, who, who talks about placing uh, Krupper's works in multiple collections that he has. So, um, I mean, when, once you have a few people like that, um, then all of a sudden, you you have a lot a lot better chance at kind of having a pretty sustained and um, Fruitful primary and secondary market.
0: Placing him in a lot of collections is something that Schwartzman's done with a couple of different artists, uh, mm-hmm. and and it it brings up, I guess. You mentioned that these were Europeans who were uh, uh, unbridled in their enthusiasm for uh, mm-hmm. uh, Kraber, and, and it brings to mind that people collect art because they're excited about it, and there's um, mm-hmm. an evangelism uh, uh, in buying an artist, both you know to mm-hmm. validate your own uh, uh, interest and taste, but also genuinely uh, just if you're excited, you're going to tell other people uh, uh, about it. W- what mm-hmm. point does that sort of at least in your experience of talking to people does that do people then become almost uh guarded or jealous of uh, the thing that they don't want too many people you know to to join the bandwagon that they it, it, it's becoming out of their control
1: um i have never in my life met someone who owned an artwork who didn't want other people to also own artworks that were by the same artist. Because fundamentally, um, buying an artwork is not just a um, an immediate appreciation. It's also... There's also... I think an eye towards the future. No one, no one owns a work and loves a work and and, and thinks, well, like who cares if in the future um, everyone thinks this is junk? You know, there is a certain forward-looking out- outlook um, that is, I think, intrinsic in art ownership. And so, I don't think that there is ever a jealousy, particularly, particularly when everyone involved knows that the more people who appreciate an artwork and the more people who like it and recognize its value, um, the the greater the likelihood is that that artwork will retain or grow in value. So I have to say that that has never been my experience, but maybe it's been other people's.
0: So how do you, you know, cut through the, um, the hype, you know, everyone, the, the 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 word that always comes up in the art market is hype, often as if it was mm-hmm. manufactured or there's some svengali. usually the auction houses, you know, shoving mm-hmm. this art down uh, on unwilling or unsuspecting uh, uh, people. And mm-hmm. as you just said, everyone's a bit uh, uh, an interested party in uh, promoting their, their artists. What do you do to sort of, since it's your job to patrol the waterfront, you know, deciding between what you you think is people just banging the drum and what's real
1: enthusiasm? Um, I think part of it is subjective, right? Part of it is my just sort of looking at the art and kind of um, drawing on my understanding of art market and art historical trends. But then the other aspect of it, and this is why I'm doing this with a lot of different kinds of artists who have a lot of different kinds of support, is that it's about um, a combination of breadth and depth and from, from different sectors. So um, Kreber is a nice example of someone who uh, has an extraordinary amount of... Um, depth in terms of uh, powerful collectors and powerful dealers. Um, Kreber's art, however, and I say this, um, ha- is not necessarily a sure thing in terms of massive market growth. As far as Kreber is impenetrable oftentimes, an extremely difficult artist to, he doesn't, he doesn't make beautiful paintings, let's say. Um, so, so there, 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 uh, when, when I'm talking about these phenomena, I'm not necessarily talking about sure things. Um, so, so that's, that's Kreber. I mean, if we're looking at Laura Owens, she simultaneously is, uh, has, Um, A lot of people who really kind of like it, it's like very visually appealing. She has all of a sudden an uh, kind of upswing of institutional support. But simultaneously, right, as I kind of articulate in the piece, um, Owens doesn't necessarily fit within any sort of kind of specific movement um, or group. Owens has these extremely, extremely wealthy and aggressive collectors um, who who are very excited about her. so, um, and, th- and then, and then with Lawrence Abu Hamdan, right? You have someone who has just a pretty much boundless institutional goodwill, and who is also um, just a kind of very charismatic person. Um, and so he he is making these works that museums love, that are. Basically nothing in terms of market costs right now 8000 dollars, but are simultaneously not necessarily something that you can easily just throw up on your living room wall. So, so the, uh, what I am person how I'm kind of cutting through the hype, or at least trying to cut through the hype, is um, by articulating kind of um, how these people have real chances um, at at kind of sustained and um robust markets, but but simultaneously I think uh by by really kind of going into or at least pointing to I I would say going into is maybe too grandiose, but point pointing to kind of where where they face hurdles, I think that there's there's some important caveats that are connected with it that hopefully means that I'm not simply just shilling for a bunch of people who um, a few people are really happy about, <laughs> um, if that makes sense.
0: Well, it, it almost seems like, uh, especially an artist like uh, Abu Hamdan, you, you can't really shill for them because he doesn't make things that really could succeed on the market. He doesn't make uh, uh, easily portable objects that would be, you know, in in large numbers, whatever, that would would be able to build that kind of market momentum.
1: I think you have to remember that institutions, large and small, uh, represent a pretty significant force in the art market itself, and that there are a lot of private foundations and museums around the world that have acquisitions budgets and that um, are... Uh, inclined towards um, supporting and collecting artists on n- not just a one-off basis. And so, if you're looking at someone who has an appeal across the globe and has um, creates work that that is in relatively small batches, then I think that. Um, but but consistently, then I think that actually he does. You are looking at a market that that can grow. It's just not necessarily a market of, you know. Houses in Greenwich, Connecticut.
0: He can make a good living and prosper and, and make much more art and have mm-hmm. build a base of viewers and even patrons and and become a significant artist. But may not actually leave behind objects that will get traded at increasing prices over over time. And that that doesn't have a you know negative impact on his uh, importance as an artist. It's just you know a feature of the type of art that he
1: makes totally totally and and that's a great point i would also say though that um if there's one thing we've seen art dealers do it's very gently or sometimes not so gently steer artists who have some form of momentum behind them towards more marketable artworks. let's put it that way
0: no, I would I would think so. Depending on what the artist's goals are and the dealers, I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, you and you were just mentioned that this the the growing number of private museums and collectors who collect in depth means that there are many different ways to succeed in the art market, not necessarily mm-hmm. the ones we can uh, see. You know, selling at auction or having uh, uh, gallery shows. Completely.
1: Part of what I'm trying to do here is to redefine how we think of market and the market and redefine how we think of success. The majority of the people who I'm mentioning are all have pretty robust secondary markets. Um, And Hamdan, I think is interesting just because um, he's not, he's he's like a relatively young artist. Um, He has this kind of uh, art world buzz, but he's not making paintings, you know, and there are very few artists uh, who have that same kind of enthusiasm and are that same kind of age and are similarly kind of, um, hyped uh who who are doing what he's doing and so that's why i thought he was he was an interesting person to kind of point out
0: so where does that that, make sense no it makes total sense and it, it kind of raises the question of you know if you're kind of boxing um the envelope here to you know choosing things of uh that that illustrate different aspects of uh, the overall, what it means to be a successful uh, artist. What Mm -hmm. are you looking for uh, next?
1: I take a uh, value investing approach towards uh, the art market, which is not to say a value investing approach towards art. Insofar as there are a lot of extraordinary artworks that are beautiful and interesting and art historically important that are wildly overlooked by the market as a result of their medium or their geography or they're um, the, just whoever it is who is making them. And um, this is not to say that I'm like, I think that people should go to far, or I mean, they can, great, whatever, but um, uh, go to far-flung places. But I think that there are a lot of people who are right under our nose. I think that there are, like, if you look at photography, if you look at works on paper, and then if you look at, and this is, this is going to seem preposterous, but if you look at a lot of artists who did well in Europe, um, in the kind of latter part of the 20th century, um, or in the middle part of the 20th century. Um, these are people whose markets pale in comparison to American artists. And, um, it's, it's, it's really kind of, kind of important to remember that, um, in the 1940s and 50s and 60s, um, when Europe was, really literally rebuilding itself. Um, the people who had the money to sustain uh, contemporary and Um, kind of a retrospective market with the Americans. And so if you look at some people who did superb things and extremely influential things um, in uh, European museums in the 50s and 60s, even if they're American artists, um, when they had these American markets, uh, when when they had these European markets or um, primarily a kind of European base of people who appreciated them, um, that sort of stuck. And so I think there are a lot of people out there um, who uh, merit some reevaluation, and who not only merit reevaluation, but who are also um, kind of seeing uh, kind of return as as people really are going to um, many many different countries looking for things that sort of look like things we already know and value. Um, I think that there there's a lot more right here, and a lot more enthusiasm suddenly for for artists who have been if not overlooked, just not necessarily appreciated the extent that their their peers have.
0: Well, we saw that in the art market about, uh, I guess it was 2014, maybe a little earlier, there was this explosion of interest in young artists, uh, especially ones who were sort of process-oriented art- artists. And then mm-hmm. there was this dramatic shift to finding these overlooked historical masters. Uh, and, and you've somewhat just described that. Uh, process that continues uh, um, both <laughs> with European dealers and with American dealers and some of the global dealers, you know, all trying to latch on to uh, artists who might, um, you know, rise in value. Uh, and and, so and that's,
1: I would say that that is certainly great. And there have been really some very interesting people who've been unearthed. But after that um, backlash against young artists and they move towards, quote-unquote overlooked masters, Um, there was simultaneously a need that I found a little bit excessive to emphasize why they were overlooked in a way that I found to actually um, oftentimes fall back, resulted in people falling back on tropes. Um, uh, Tropes that sometimes were interesting and true and other times um, were a little bit less compelling, and so the the narrative necessarily that um, that led to a bunch of ninety year olds or a bunch of people um who were not white men being found um all sort of began to sound the same, and I think that that uh might mean that some of these markets are not actually sustainable as people think but that's a that's a different <laughs> that's a different question <laughs> Well, uh, it
0: it almost goes to the same question where I was uh, trying to get to is, do you think the pendulum swings back to young artists, maybe of a different ilk? Maybe, you know, there are a bunch of figurative artists out out there and and we see more of that. I mean, there's there's always a migration. Everything gets overdone and it sort of brings on the next thing. We would less it with sort of historical schools. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, schools of types of painting the way we used to see h- historically, but the same sort of idea of people gravitating towards um, different types of work uh, mm-hmm. seems to be sort of a, a process.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to generalize because sometimes it, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. But, um, I mean, I think that we have, like, we're in a moment right now where um, there are if if you're just looking at results, and this is sort of uh, why I focused on Lynette um, Yadam Blache, is we're in a moment right now where figurative painting by um, artists in the African diaspora is is doing extremely well. Whether that can be sustained is a different question because when these paintings are going for more than a million dollars, you know, a million dollars is a lot of money and um, there are very few people who can spend that kind of money and there are fewer people who will spend that kind of money um, on work that doesn't necessarily have strong foundational underpinnings aka um, there are very few people who can spend that kind of money and not necessarily be very worried uh, as to whether or not they'll be able to get that money back.
0: I'm less concerned with you know results and people proving it, then the kinds of you know artists who are taken on by galleries and shown there's just so much stuff yeah. and 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 one artist's success seems to give an opportunity, which isn't a bad thing to other artists who are very similar, either have a similar backstory or have similar methods or just look alike mm-hmm. ar- artists and it's not mm-hmm. always so easy to tell, which is the one that's you know. If, you're, if, if we're working mm-hmm. on the assumption that we're trying to help buyers sort through all this, mm-hmm. it, it's mm-hmm. tough to be a buyer. It's got to be tough to be in your position trying to think about what to focus mm-hmm. on to explain to buyers that this is uh, significant.
1: Com- completely. And um, the way that I justify that to myself is that is, is returning to this idea of kind of case studies that the people who I'm who I'm choosing are are not necessarily the person to choose, but represent a certain series of phenomena that have have led to their success and could lead to further success. Um, <clears throat> because um, I would say that any one who claims to be comprehensive or definitive is in a lot of trouble (laughs) or will be getting themselves into a lot of trouble and I would never do that. But I think that, um, I think that, yes, it's the, the people who are able to definitively choose a market winner are the people who are quite literally making that market and everyone else is, is really rolling the dice.
0: How do you mean that, that they're, uh, you know, the kind of collector who's so confident and willing to stick with it that by the sort of strength of their combination of support and eye, that they're providing that kind of linchpin that uh, 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 almost, you know, defines the success of the artist?
1: Yeah. Or, I mean, not necessarily a collector, but also dealer, right? If you know enough people who can buy something eventually that support grows um, or or at least in the short term you know the thing is that fundamentally like what the the difference between the primary and the secondary market is the secondary market when it's not being screwed around with by interested parties is a way of literally testing how many people actually want the work who can't normally buy it, and so when an artwork goes crazy on the secondary market and auction houses and dealers are at pains to talk about the number of bidders who were participating in trying to buy that because that demonstrates – and apologies if I'm being totally obvious – but that demonstrates how many people there are who can actually sustain this market, right? How many underbidders there are who are willing to buy these things. So fundamentally, right, like my saying, someone can make a market is not necessarily that profound because if someone has the strength of getting a lot of people excited or basically continuing to pay for works until people get excited, then that is what we call making a market. Does it work all the time? Absolutely not. Is it one way to make it work? Yes.
0: You mentioned uh, and wrote about McAllister earlier, who is uh, an artist who seems to exist outside of what you just defined. Now, I, it doesn't sound like he has much of a secondary market, so he, he he's uh, uh, succeeding without the. Um, Public validation of people being able to see all the other people who are buying uh, there. So it, it, I guess it suggests that you can
1: succeed without um, that demonstration. This is why I love McAllister's market. McAllister happens to be represented by very respectable galleries, right? So there is this kind of patina of respectability. Um, But he also has a market that is basically the same as... um, a flea market insofar as people are buying these, they like this stuff, they're holding on to it, they have no intention of flipping this to sell it. Some people might, right? I, when I talked to James Fuentes, he said that he had, in, in a decade, basically handled 10 resales, um, which is which is nothing. Um, but he's really just an artist who people like to buy, and so his art is basically priced to sustain an artist's career and a dealer's dealer's overhead costs and things like that in a dealer's career but it's not it's not priced super aggressively and yet it does great right and that's and that's it's totally different than someone like Laura Owens and yet it's 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 a fantastic example of art market success it's
0: almost—it's almost, it's almost as if you know that term that gets thrown around, usually as a, a sort of damning with faint praise, calling something decorative. It, it's almost as if it's the positive side of of decorative, of uh, you know, people buying art because they like the way it looks, not as an asset yeah. or an investment. Yeah, this is, this guy
1: has really knows what he's doing. He has a wonderful um, academic uh, pedigree. He studied with important conceptual artists um, and he uh, is 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 making this work with the full knowledge of what it is. There's not a lot of jargon around it. There's not a lot of kind of um, people misusing theory that they read in college to try to make it seem somehow justifiable. It's, it is what it is, and I think that that is wonderful. And I say that without any irony. Um, it's 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 a it's an example of a real market that's being created. Uh, and and
0: where does that lead you? I, I presume you're continuing on with this series.
1: Without getting too into it, I think I think what has yet to be kind of addressed is um, market for. Fairly recognized important dead artists whose estates are not being aggressively managed, because that is a place where there's a lot of growth potential, and we're seeing that happen right now.
0: And there's been a lot of battling over
1: those uh, estates over the last few years. Indeed, there has. And once the dust settles with a few of them, I think it will. I think it's it's pretty clear that. That there will be some significant um, price changes, but again, you know, this is this is speculative. And what I'm I'm trying to do with these pieces is not to speculate who could become successful, but is I'm instead trying to look at successes, explain why they're they're successful, and talk about if they could continue that success. So it's a little bit different.
0: Oh, no, I, it's more, as you said, it's a case study. Draw your own conclusions rather than uh, uh, pointing people, here's the next big thing, take my word for it.
1: Yes, yes, and th- that's in the best case scenario. That's what I'm trying for. I'm not sure if I succeed. Well,
0: you've, you've done it pretty well so far, and uh, I hope you <laughs> you pull it off in, in the next ones. Uh, James, thank you so much for taking uh, the, the time to have this conversation.
1: And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com.